Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the podcast. This is Real Talk with Zuby, with your host, of course, Zuby. Today, we've got on another special guest, as we do every episode. This is Brian Sharp, aka Hotep Jesus, and he is a software marketer, and he's also a really dope personality to follow on Twitter. I've been following him for a while, so we're going to have a Real Talk conversation. How you doing, bro? Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate that wonderful introduction, man. Thank you for having me. That's that's awesome, man. So I hear you're out in Vegas right now as we record this. Yes, we are live from Vegas. I'm at the Rio. We have the top floor. I'm with Gary, the numbers guy. He's got the top floor. Um, you know, huge suite with the outdoor pool overlooking the whole city. Yeah, crazy. Big oh, baller suite. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. So let's get ready for the weekend to hang out. That's dope, man. I haven't been to Vegas, but it's one of those places that I feel like I have to go to at some point in my life just to say that I've been there and to experience it. Yeah, eh, I don't know. I'm not a real big, <laughs> big Vegas guy. It's not. I think there's much better places to go. <laughs> That's fair enough, man. It's one of those places. Like, I have a feeling I don't think I'm like. I don't think my personality and my interests are so much aligned with it. Like, I'm not even. A, I'm not even a gambler or whatever. But oh, yeah. it's one of the. You know, when you see places like. It's such an iconic place, you know, you see it in so many movies and all that. And it's like, you know, I, I kind of have to go there at some point just to say, yeah, I've walked down. I've walked down that strip. It's an experience. I'll tell you that. It's definitely an experience. Yeah. You're not going to see this anywhere else. Yeah, man. So, yeah, I just wanted to ha- have a conversation with you. I think I first um, I think I first came across you online. I think um, on that viral video, I think, I don't know if it was last year or the year before when you got the got the free you had a viral video when you got some free coffee from starbucks and yeah, i think that was, that was 2018 uh, okay <laughs> and i think that was when i uh when i first started following you on twitter and then uh i was like, ah this guy's got some got some interesting views and points and stuff like that which a lot of other people are not saying and so yeah you know i started following you then and yeah it's just been interesting to see what you're doing so why don't you uh introduce yourself to the people tell us a little bit uh, about you and your background Let's see. Where should I start? Um, in a nutshell, what you should probably do is just kind of look at my connections with uh, 50 Cent. Uh, you know, that's pretty much uh, where I got my real big uh, breakthrough into okay. the uh, entertainment industry, into the marketing industry. I was running um, the marketing department for uh, one of his uh, one of his uh, startups. 
Okay, and, which one? Uh, which one was that? This was uh, Pure Growth Partners was the name of the uh, incubator, and the incubator basically what they did was they uh, would pull money from investors, and then they attach brands to celebrities and launch these, you know, startup slash brands or, or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, so you know, we had a lot of people in the office. You know, we had meetings with Kanye, Bieber. Um, at the time, Bieber's manager was the same manager as um, uh, what's his name, the other white boy rapper. Oh man, he, he hasn't been. I want to say Aston something. Asher Roth. So you're talking about Scooter Brown, is it? Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Um. So you know, I got a chance to work with um Mano, um Papoose. Okay. You know, I got to meet a whole lot of people. Um, G Unit, the G Unit Biker Squad. So um, you know, and then after that, I, I launched a brand for Carmelo Anthony, mm-hmm. uh, which was a sports drink. And then ever since then, but really, what happened was. I was I saw that I was in CPG consumer packaged goods and okay. I saw the barriers that come with having a packaged good as opposed to a digital good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, yeah, I want to switch to digital. So I switched to digital and I've just been doing software marketing ever since I've dealt with over, you know, probably 30 different apps marketing. OK, man. So how did, how did you first get into that? How did you get involved into the app marketing? So you said you were working with so, all so, these brands and so, all these artists. I mean, how did you how did you yeah, do that so, to begin with? So, so basically what happened was I was a torn artist, me and Demick were a torn artist. We were a group Demick in Boston okay. and, um, B-A-W-S-T-E-N. And, uh, you know, we were just like, you know, gaining a lot of traction offline and online. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, in our area, we were promoting, you know, we were like pretty much like a local act, I guess you can say. So we were using the content from that and putting it on social media and it just looked really good, you know? Um, so we got a bunch of tours out of it. Um, you know, like Miami, LA, you know, the major cities around the United States and then, you know, like some, you know, smaller markets, um, college tours, stuff like that. And I had a blog, I had an entertainment blog at the time and I had about seven writers writing on my blog. And, um, you know, we were doing a million returning visitors a month and it was, you know, it was getting a lot of traction. So through that, I was getting a lot of media invites and through the media invites, I was just kind of like networking. And that's how I, I got invited to the 50 cent launch. And that's kind of like how I moved into the marketing role over there. Okay. I get you. Awesome. Uh, so what are the projects that you're working on at the moment then? Right now we have, um, we're working on um, uh, a DAP, a decentralized application. Right now we're working with Bitcoin where people can actually uh, transact and, and, and purchase Bitcoin on a weekly basis using their spare chain, sort of like the Acorns model, mm-hmm. but just for Bitcoin. Um, and we're launching a new feature soon. The name of that app is coinbitsapp.com. It's, it's only in the U S right now. Okay. Um, we're looking to go global soon, but we kind of want to just get some kinks worked out first. Um, but yeah, we're hitting the U S market heavy with coinbitsapp.com and, uh, we have a really cool feature coming down the pike, which will allow creators to receive USD. Uh, actually, you know, people to donate USD and the creators that will receive Bitcoin and then we'll, um, you know, wallet Bitcoin for people. So, you know, that's a real, you know, exciting project for me, you know, being in the Bitcoin, being in FinTech at the same time, yeah. uh, and still being in startups, which I love and applications. I have another app, which is called Jifatize and Jifatize allows you to basically, um, rip gypsum Twitter and videos. So if you see a video on your, on your timeline or, or a GIF mm-hmm. and you want to save it to your iPhone, you know, you hold down the button, hit the Jifatize button, boom, go straight to your phone. That's awesome, man. Yeah, so, so when, you know, when did you, uh, when did you start Coinbits? September we launched of 2018 and um, so that's up and running we've got you know 
transacting, making investments in Bitcoin through that. Awesome, man. So Bitcoin is uh, an interesting topic in its in itself. How long have you been involved or invested? And then number two, where do you think it's going? Because obviously that's a that's a topic where I mean, <laughs> 2018 was a rough year, needless to say. But um, yeah, where do I mean, you I was, see it going? I think I was term? I think I was late on the Bitcoin thing. I was very skeptical in the very beginning. I thought mm-hmm. you know the regulations were going to kill it faster than it did or or could. Um, but um, I got in 2017. Um, so, you know, when everybody made money in 2017, you know, I made money in 2017 mm-hmm. off the Bitcoin, you know, rally or whatever. Um, and I've just been interested in ever since just to f- just for the fact that it provides people freedoms. You know, you see like a lot of people getting deplatformed through Patreon. Um, they're mm-hmm. not letting them take payments through Stripe and PayPal. So mm-hmm. it's like with with decentralized apps, you, you know, you can get around all that stuff. Yeah. I think one thing that's really interesting with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general is, I mean, I'm, I'm super interested in it and it's a field I'm very excited about the potential for. A lot of times people ask like, what's the, what's the point of Bitcoin? What purpose does it solve? What problem does it solve? I mean, you just mentioned right there, you know, about people being demonetized or people being deplatformed and stuff like that. But um, in terms of the general population, I think that the average person isn't, the average person seems a bit unconcerned about that. Like I think Bitcoin and crypto at the moment, it seems to appeal a lot to people who are a little bit skeptical of government, quite libertarian minded. It appeals to people who tend to be within a certain a certain political sphere almost. Like mm-hmm. I feel like Bitcoin, the idea of having a decentralized currency that's not controlled by any government, that's distributed, that is trustless, like the whole concept of that appeals to me massively, kind of just right. because of my my views on certain things and the idea that, you know what, money shouldn't just be something that's controlled at a whim by a small handful of bankers in what other country and, you know, just they're free to do whatever with it they want, including inflating it to death, printing tons of money or whatever like that. But it mm-hmm. seems like a lot of people are very happy with the current system and they think the whole thing is kind of pointless. And I think it's normal to have that skepticism to begin with, but I guess from your perspective, what made you go from being skeptical to being like, you know what, this is something that does have value and is worth investing in and looking at in more detail. I think that's where the world is going to go. I think the world is going to end up being a cryptocurrency, you know, um, they, I mean, you've heard rumors about them getting rid of a physical currency for a long time and moving to a digital currency. Sure. So, you know, it's like if we know we're moving there, first of all, we have to understand that Bitcoin is a store of value. You know, mm-hmm. it's where you store value, kind of like gold. Um, so, you know, if you know the world is going that way and you become an early adopter and you own this cryptocurrency by the time the entire entire world goes cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. you know, you'll have more wealth accumulated than everybody else in the new currency. So I'm like, I want to be an early adopter. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm completely on board with that. I am a, I'm a little bit of a believer and somewhat of an evangelist when it comes to cryptocurrency, which has become harder in the past year because people look at it in the past year and everyone's just looking at it from a short term financial perspective. And they're like, oh man, like, no, that's, <laughs> that's way too volatile. That's way too crazy. And I can, I can completely understand that perspective. But um, in terms of the fundamentals, in terms of the fundamental appeal, I'm kind of like, you know what, nothing has nothing has changed. So, yeah, I know it's a it's a it's a really interesting topic. Bitcoin and crypto in general is one of those things I can 
I can talk about <laughs> I can talk yeah. about people with for forever, but it's always interesting just to know what people's different perspectives on it are. So um one thing I did want to talk to you about, I guess, is um well, first of all, your your nickname of Hotep Jesus. Yeah. Which is a an interesting nickname. Where did that come from? What's the origin? Uh, you know, I was just uh, in a, in the early stages of uh building Hotep Nation. Mm-hmm. We uh, you know, people were you know, they called this Hoteps or whatever. So we kind of took on that name Hotep. My voice was at the time was very much more spiritual and mystical. Mm-hmm. So somebody said, what do you think? You're some type of Hotep Jesus. And ah. I was like, oh. <laughs> it, made, it made me laugh. So I just took the name on. Okay. You're definitely going to need to explain to the audience what Hotep even means. Yeah. Well, Hotep is uh, ancient Medaneta, uh or ancient Egyptian for, um, peace some people would translate it as peace um uh, my brother uh, shaka akmos would call it uh satisfaction mm-hmm. um it also means to be to to rest so, but there's actually like i want to say almost 20 definitions of the term hotep what do hoteps stand for to make it simple for people to understand i guess you can say like the conscious community is the right wing of the black community so, mm-hmm. you know, Hoteps would be like the right wing of the black community, probably point the forefather to somebody like Marcus Garvey, okay. who yeah, believes more in just kind of like practicing nepotism as opposed to activism. <laughs> okay, I see. Yeah. So that that's where we're at. You know, we're just all about building, first of all, I think, uh, economic intelligence. Mm-hmm. And you know financial intelligence and and educating our people. So that's kind of our our mission is to educate people on how economics works and you know how they should handle their manage their their finances, um, investing, et cetera, et cetera. But I guess you can say we're definitely capitalists. Okay. Nation, at least. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Where does the majority of the pushback come from? And two, why do you think that is? We we're not keen on the activism, the marching, the protesting. You know, we don't support that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Uh, we're not in the business of crying about police brutality. We're more or less about let's actually elect the officials we want and install our own police, and then we won't have those issues. So we're about building the economic base. But mm-hmm. basically, what it comes down to is we're solutionary, as Maj Tori would say. Um, you know, but the thing is, when you when you start dealing with the work, you start dealing with the solutions. That stuff's not easy. It's it's real easy to just complain about your issue, about your problems. Sure. But it's a whole nother thing to say, hey, look, this is within my power. This is within my control. And you see it at the individual level, too. You know, it doesn't escape individuals. You know, individuals all the time will be their success will be crippled because they take on the idea of blaming everybody else for their problems instead of taking accountability and responsibility for their own problems. Sure. So that's the attitude we have. And anybody, anytime you go to somebody and they're complaining to you about their problems and you pitch self-accountability, they're going to get mad at you. You know, they're mm-hmm. not going to like that advice. They just want you to sit there and listen to them rant and cry. You know, that's really what people want, just a shoulder to lean on. And we're not trying to be that shoulder to lean on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the, that's the vibe I get. The UK and the USA are very similar in a lot of ways, but I think they're also very different in a lot of ways from yeah. down to the history to the way society kind of conducts itself and also the way that society stratifies itself. So based on my experience and my observation and some time spent in both countries, I feel like the the US is a lot more racially stratified even to this day. 
Okay. You know, I think the divisions are more racial, whereas in the UK, it's more, uh, it's more stratified by class. So in the UK, racial relations overall, I'd say, are certainly a lot better and smoother than they are in the US, which might not be surprising given, given the history. But it's interesting for me, especially as someone who spends a lot of time online, has lots of followers who are based in the US, who follows a lot of people who are in the US as well. It's always interesting for me to keep an eye on what's going on over there. It's a little bit bizarre to me in a lot of ways because I look at things and I'm like, okay, you know, oftentimes people will be like, oh, but you're not, you're not a black American. You're not living that experience. So you can't really comment on it or whatever. But I kind of feel like maybe because I'm an outsider in some ways, I think it gives me like a bit of a clearer, a clearer view on certain things. Like you were alluding to earlier, you know, there's obviously a lot of the activism. You've got a lot of people pushing, pushing certain narratives, pushing certain ideas, which to me looks like it's disempowering. Okay. Uh, so what you just said that you're trying to do as an individual or as a movement, to me, I hear that and I'm like, awesome. Self-responsibility, accountability, stuff you can control within your own sphere and take action on. To me, I'm like, that's almost the definition of empowerment. That's not saying right. that someone else is stopping me. Someone else is holding me down. The system is against me. It's saying like, okay, this is where we are. This is where we want to go. This is where I am. This is where I want to go. What can I do to get from A to B or A to Z? And you're just acting on that. You're not pointing fingers elsewhere. You're just saying like, okay, like let's do this. And the way my worldview is, I'm like, yeah, that's the way forward. But uh -huh. it seems like a huge number of people disagree with me. Based on what I see of your interactions, it seems like, you know, you've got like a wave of people who are against you and your entire philosophy, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So yeah. what do you make of that? Uh, they're just having their strings pulled. They're, they're being manipulated and controlled. They're not actually in control of themselves. Um, they allow the media to uh, dictate their actions by uh provoking and cajoling their emotions mm. you know um and, and and that's pretty much it you know these people uh allow large accounts to kind of dictate the direction that we're going <laughs> you yeah know? you know it doesn't matter strategy and all that stuff if you're headed in the wrong direction mm. but all of our black leaders are headed in the wrong direction so you know for people that aren't capable of thinking for themselves they have to take direction from someone and usually the the numbers are going to be out. So when the numbers, you know, are the people on TV and they have millions of followers, mm -hmm. you know, social proof usually wins out. So, uh, you know, it's pretty much like uh, mainstream versus the underground. But, you know, we just keep the fight going, I guess. And how do you think that's changed over time? Obviously, 2016 dropped a dropped a big bomb on the USA. I think it it's kind of like it, it seems like it tore apart the fabric of a lot of people's realities with Trump getting elected. And mm -hmm. it seems like those pieces still have not <laughs> been. A, it's like people haven't recovered yet. People are still trying to put that back together again as an outsider. That was very intriguing for me to watch, like to watch people quite literally physically, mentally break down. Something just happened overnight, which kind of proved that your entire worldview had like a gigantic blind spot. And I still feel like people don't seem like they've, like they've gotten to grips with that. So as someone who's out there on the ground in the country, do you feel like it's, I don't know, do you feel like things are getting, things are getting better, things are getting worse? Are you optimistic, pessimistic, just kind of zen? Uh, 
I don't know, like, that's like really like a complicated question, right? Because all of that stuff is subjective because everybody has different goals. And I think that's the issue yeah. uh, when we look at politics, right? When you look at politics within conservatism, everybody has separate goals within libertarianism and liberalism. Everybody has their own goals. Mm. Um, and then individually we have our own goals as a family, as a community, as ethnicity, as a race, we all have our, our own goals. And, and I think that humanity as a whole isn't on, on one accord. And I mean that harmoniously from a very conscious or spiritual level. People aren't um, empowered intellectually. So when you have a society of idiots, you know, it's just basically, I don't know, I guess slavery, I guess. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> these, these people are just going to, you know, follow whatever the master says. Uh, and the master is whoever has the intelligence that controls the media and whoever controls the education. Even at the educational level, uh, children are brainwashed. Children are conditioned. The educational system's broken. You know, just the way in which we teach children. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you take children and you lock them in a box for nine hours out of the day and take them away from their parents, you know, their mother. There's just something wrong there. Uh, the fact that enough classes aren't being taught outside that the architecture is ugly, the rules are messed up. The idea of the teacher being the authority over their student, it has, I, I get it, but it's its very flawed in where the teacher becomes infallible. Um, mm. and, that, and that becomes an issue where the children aren't allowed to challenge their teachers. You see that a lot, especially in history where, you know, or in politics where you're not allowed to challenge your teacher. You see it in college where you're not allowed to challenge your teacher mm -hmm. because your teacher's a liberal, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think if we don't take a strong look at how children are being educated, is love being taught? You know, do we, do we teach love? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I, I think that's like the first art and, you know, how to live life out of love. And um, most people are missing that. You see that in politics a lot because it, it's, it's just uh, a constant war. It's just constant this side attacking that side, this side attacking that side. And if you like something somebody from the other side says, then your side is mad at you. You know, like I said, said before, it's like, so what's the goal, right? Is the goal here to bring harmony or is the goal here to be right? Yeah. You know, and, and so it's, it's quite an issue. Um, but, uh, I believe that children are the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, know, so. uh, there's no question. I mean, they, they are by definition. Yeah. So, so that's why we have to, we have to take a strong look at our educational institutions. Mm. And and that'll tell you where our future is going. Yeah, man. So what do you, in terms yeah. of the, the school system, say, what yeah. sort of changes do you think they could make that would make a significant difference in terms of just making that next generation wiser, yeah. smarter, yeah. and more united, I guess? Yeah. So what happens is, um, and I believe they do this in some other countries, but you'll see a certain student has a proclivity towards a particular subject or towards a particular art. When you when you see a child, you know, in class and he's beaten on a desk, you say, oh, he wants to play percussion. So you mm -hmm. got to put him in a drum class. You know, that's a musical child. When you have a child that's dancing, you say, oh, this child wants to be in arts. He wants to dance. So, you know, let's move them to dance. Yeah. You know, you have to recognize these, you know, if this child is good at math, 
let's you know push them in the STEM direction. If a child is good in English, let's push them in that direction, mm-hmm. and and treat it more like college in that aspect. You know, where all your classes are, are focused around your expertise. You okay. Know? Um, so I think that's one thing. Uh, the way we deal with troubled children is incorrect. You know, when we talk about what they call a bad child, which isn't a bad child, it's a misled child. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a lonely child. It's a child that hasn't been loved. But when we take an unloved child and put them in detention, you know, what do they call the the, the jail? They call the jail a detention. So we're really teaching mm-hmm. children how to go to jail, and and we're actually conditioning them conditioning them to think it's not that bad because after you do three, four detentions, you're like, oh, I can do this as a piece of cake. So yeah. when you get older, oh, I can sit down as a piece of cake. You know, but that's not how we deal with individuals um, and how we deal with troubled children. Um, a lot of times, you know, uh, a teacher, let's say it's uh, a teacher needs a, a class helper, you know, pass out the pencils and stuff like that. Let the troubled child do it, you know, like they, mm. they usually punish the troubled child and take those privileges away when he's the, usually the troubled child is usually the CEO of a future company. These, these mm. are your outgoing types. These are your entrepreneurs. These kids need to be pushed forward in front of the class. They need to be pushed, you know, they, they're not, they don't have any fear. A lot of times you have a more uh, introverted child and the teacher's forcing the inf- introverted child to be more extroverted. And I'm not saying they shouldn't uh, exercise public speaking or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying, you know, why are we going to force an introverted child to face his fears like that, passing out the papers when you got somebody that's well enabled that's disrupting the class because you won't allow them to, you know? Yeah. But, you know, those are just, you know, two quick examples. You know, we can talk about teacher salaries and the fact that teachers suck. Um, because nobody wants to be a teacher. So our best minds aren't teachers. Yeah. You know, it's a whole lot wrong. So you think in terms of that aspect of it, I'm guessing here, potentially privatizing more and creating more of a financial incentive and a little bit more of a free market in terms of the schools? Is that what you think? Free market might help. I'm sure yeah. free market will help. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of free market and, you know, letting people do what they want with their education. I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, yeah. That, um, I think that's a great start. Mark Zuckerberg donated like I want to say a hundred million or something crazy like that to Newark schools or something. It was it was it was an astronomical number mm-hmm. to Newark schools and Newark schools are you know are pretty bad. And when we turn around and look back on what changed in those schools to now, as far as you know, children performing better, you have nothing to show for it. Um, you know, you got a whole bunch of fancy new computers and stuff like that and upgraded offices and desks, but the performance of the students hasn't changed much. Um, and, and that's because there's a problem with the parents and that's a, that's a, a even bigger issue. You know, how do we get the parents and the teachers to work together? How do you get a parent to work more with their child? A lot of the time, a parent doesn't help their child do homework because the parent can't do the homework them damn selves. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> So you got it, you know, broken down from there. So then it's just like, you know, how do you um, allow this this parent to um, deal with the trials and tribulations of life, mm-hmm. you know, and have time for their child? Because a lot of them don't. A lot of them are just coping, you know. Some of them are coping with alcohol. Some of them are drugs. Mm. Some of them are coping with TV social media, you know, everybody's trying to cope somehow. So they're not even, you know, the parents are not even motivated to help the children. That just comes back to like, you know, the whole welfare system, you know, destroying motivation and, and, and you know what I mean? And incentivizing uh, ideation and creation. 
Yeah. So yeah, it's it's it, the system's messed up way up top. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really interesting, man. I think, like, I don't consider myself uh, weirdly enough. Like, I feel like I talk about politics a lot, although I don't consider myself a deeply political person, especially especially in terms of like the the nitty gritty party politics. I tend to care more about it on like a high level, mm-hmm. in terms of like what are the right general ideas and also you know in terms of how the how it affects society and culture and also Mm -hmm. how society and culture affects politics say i think one of the biggest wedges to me kind of comes down to the whole idea of what we touched on earlier the idea of personal responsibility like i think when you kind of boil it down so many of the things fall down to that because even if both sides of the argument say identify the same problem you'll typically want to have one which is so you just touched on welfare right so if you're talking something like welfare you've got one group of people saying there's too much of it people are being disincentivized from working and from creating and from being productive because they've got too much to be able to fall back on we need to cut this back and then on the other hand you've got people saying the complete opposite like no we need to raise this you've got people talking about uh concepts like universal basic income you know so just giving everybody like x amount of money every month or every year like just for breathing and existing and you've got all these arguments mm-hmm. pro and against something i'm very big on is just you know general unity and harmony you know i genuinely mm-hmm. do believe you know people can people can get on people can have different ideas and sometimes opposing ideas but that doesn't mean we need to scream and shout at each other or beat each other up in the street or whatever like god forbid um and when i see stuff looking like it's descending into that even if it's not in my own country right i I can look at some stuff in the states and i'm like that concerns me what are people's goals is a goal to like provide harmony for each other is a goal to be right Mm. (laughs) and everybody wants to be right yeah but yeah i mean it's one thing being right but it's it's one thing to think you're right and then be yeah. proven wrong and then to go oh, okay you know what i was wrong here yeah. but it's like yeah. people aren't it's like people aren't even willing to do that it's like this is this isn't an opinion this is just like facts Correct. uh and yeah that's something i find uh i don't know it's it's weird to me maybe i maybe i think about it a little too much so in terms of the in terms of the future in terms of what you're working on in the future or projects you've got coming up in 2019 what's uh what's on the table yeah, the the Bitcoin thing. <laughs> okay, know, yeah. Coin, coin, coinbitsapp.com, you know, coinbitsapp.com, pushing that heavy this year. That's that's going to be my baby project. Other okay. than that, you know, publishing work. Uh, you have my book out, Twitter Marketing, How to Build a Cult-like Following. Published that last year, April. Uh, and I have a few more works coming out this year, maybe like three or four. Uh, so, you know, um, just just putting good material out into the world to like educate people and empower people to be able to do something for themselves. So like my next book is more social. It's about like, you know, like dealing with people. Okay. Um, so, you know, when people read that, you know, hopefully the people that read that are able to have better relationships in their life. And I think that that'll be, that'll be helpful as well. Cause we have a lot of people that, you know, break up, become divorced, you know, over like um, a lot of babies being born to, you know, bad relationships. Sure. So, you know, trying to like mitigate some of those risks there with the work I got coming out. So, and I do all that stuff through, um, Brian Sharp.co. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Here's a question. Have you always been someone who thinks differently outside of the herd? Is that something that's always been 
in you or was there kind of a moment in your life where i don't know something something struck you and you kind of had a moment where you were like ah you know what like the matrix is not what it seems yeah i've always been completely different from the other kids um my interests were always different um the types of video games i played were different mm-hmm. um but you know i've always been like into computers um so i was like always a computer geek you know but i always been I always been entrepreneurial you know like i had my own printing business when i was 16 i was back in 96 okay um yeah i, or I was burning cd's we had a, a cd burner so i'd burn cds for people or i sell like mixes i always had like entrepreneurial spirit um i had my website up you know in like 96 when that really started getting popular on my website yeah um so yeah i always been you know like even when my friends wanted to rap i wanted to be the record label owner i'm like okay yeah, yeah i want to be the record label owner. <laughs> <laughs> so i was like how about i start the label and y'all sign to me <laughs> okay you know what i mean yeah so that's cool man do you yeah, still do you still do anything within the world of music then yeah yeah um the, actually the artist that i was managing when i was younger um and we still work together a lot he, he became a, like a friend um he just got signed to a record label uh that's c francis s-e-e francis uh signed to a record label um i still work with my homie Demick. he's actually out here in vegas too he's he just put out uh, a video but okay. for a while i was consulting celebrities on like how they should like move, maneuver their brand um and that was kind of fun <laughs> oh nice yeah but i was like uh i don't know i guess you can say um a behind the scenes guy for uh, a few celebrities in New York City area that you know kind of came to me for direction. Okay, yeah, that's cool, man. So one thing I am curious about it's a, it's a little bit a little bit of time has passed since, but uh, what did you make of the whole um, uh, the whole Kanye West situation in 2018? Did you have a any strong perspective on that? You know, uh, I know Kanye, man, you know, like, and I don't mean like I know him personally. I mean, I just just from following him in the music and, and watching him and growing up on his stuff, I, I knew Kanye. I always identify with Kanye. Like, you know, like when you go say, like, was I different? You know, when you know, I remember arguing with somebody You're like who's better jim jones or kanye west i was like kanye west is not even like a competition you know yeah, but yeah. this was when jim jones had that real big hit balling yeah yeah yeah. you know and and dipset was on top a little bit yeah you know um so you know i always like you know thought differently but and i always saw that in kanye too you know he just thinks differently when everybody in rap was talking about drug drugs and guns he came was talking about pink polos and you know so um when when he came out with the MAGA hat, I wasn't surprised at all. You know, I was I, I thought it was hilarious in, in the way people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he kind of exposed that people are not tolerant of other views, <laughs> despite what they say. Yeah, despite how they reacted towards it, yeah. um, and then also how monolithic and controlled people are. are, are you know, people think monolithically and they're controlled, that their thinking is controlled as well. So I think those are the two things that were exposed with his actions, which yeah. I thought was really dope. Yeah, man, no, I'm with you on that. I thought it was dope. Like I've received criticism for thinking it's dope too, which is also funny because every time someone does, every time someone levies that criticism, it's kind of proves my point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, kind of, it literally, it literally proves my point because I'm like, <laughs> the way I read the message was like, look, Black people in America are not a monolith. We don't all need to think the same. We don't all need to vote the same. We should all get on with each other. 
we should all love each other. We should all embrace each other. That was the, that was literally what I got from the message. Right. Yeah. I think that was like the overall, and I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a particularly controversial, <laughs> I don't think that's a particularly controversial method. Um, sorry, message. And if you think of Kanye's past and the message he's always pushed, which has really been like unity, love and being yourself to put it simply, especially compared to lots of other rappers that people praise. I thought it was, I thought it was hilarious that this is what gets you cast out of the, I don't even like to use the term black community because I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, I don't think there's such a thing as the black community because it's just, that's too wide. Like there's millions and millions and if not billions of black people. So to say like everyone's just a community, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. But, um, I thought that it was just funny how people were like, oh, Kanye's canceled. Uh, Kanye's lost his, he's lost his black card. He's no longer, he's this, he's that. And like so much of it racially based, let's be frank. I mean, in the world of hip hop, you have so much negativity. You have so many messages, which are directly violent, misogynistic, whatever, often aimed from black people to other black people. And nobody says a peep about that, right? Like people just, right. people love it. People support it. People push it. And then he's like, and then he did that, which in the grand scheme of things is, is in my personal opinion, is far less harmful than all of that. The attempted digital lynching of him, I was yeah. just like, I was just like, it kind of, it kind of blew my mind. I was just like, wow. So you, I can come up, I can come out, I can say this, I can say this, I can say that I can talk about, I can talk about selling crack in my community. I can talk yeah. about shooting I can talk about shooting people, not even people. Like I can talk specifically about shooting like other black people. I can promote this gang stuff. I can do this. I can do that, you know, and even commit yeah. some of these acts in real life. And nobody seems to have a problem. But then, you know, dude wears a red hat and actually meets with the president, like the actual president who people voted for. And suddenly he's public enemy number one. I just found that whole thing extremely fascinating and eye opening. Yeah, I mean, look at look at Lupe Fiasco. Uh, Lupe Fiasco had uh, a dispute with Atlantic Records some time ago, mm -hmm. and um, do you remember that? Yeah, when he uh, was gonna before he dropped Lasers. Yeah, and they were they were arguing over the content. Mm -hmm. There was some of the content on there the record label didn't agree with, it and said they didn't want him to say certain things on the record. So they're trying to control the content, but you know, Lupe doesn't do, he doesn't do like, no. you know, shoot him up, bang, bang, drug. No. No. You know, he's, he's definitely more socially aware. Uh, so they're, they're kind of trying to control the message. They're trying to control everybody's thoughts. So they don't want certain thoughts to be out there, but they'll allow all the destructive ones to be out there. Yeah. That's something I've, I find so fascinating, especially being an artist myself. Like yeah. sometimes I, I mean, it's not really a joke when I say it, but sometimes I'm like, you know what? I bet if I just like, made some mad mad ignorant <laughs> you know just got, got some trap beat and you know just what it is is you have to find a blend between the two uh kendrick lamar is really good at that yeah you know so when you look at his single uh swimming pools and drank mm -hmm. so you know everybody you know when they listen to the record they party to it they're like you know pull up drink but if you listen to the record he's talking about you know his uncle dealing with alcoholism you know like yeah. it's not it, the message is in the record so that's kind of like where you kind of got to be with music. You got to sneak it in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hide, hide the medicine, hide the medicine in the candy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it is fascinating to me. It is fascinating to me because I, I find it interesting over the years just to see what gets, what gets promoted and what doesn't. Yeah. 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 You know, and I think, you know, you've got some, 
more positive artists who are more self-aware and have what I consider a certainly a better message for people who, you know, break out of the mold and become popular and whatever. But right. um, it always seems for every one of those, you're going to get like five to ten, <laughs> five to ten of the polar opposite. And that's going to get that's going to get more radio play and club play and all that. Yeah, they control that shit from the radio, man. Yeah. You know, even the radio, the radio has to appease the advertisers. And the thing is, with the radio, they they only play happy songs or party songs, songs that keep you in a good mood because they say people buy more when they're in a good mood. Mm. So, you know, they want to keep, you know, people buying and keep the advertisers buying. So there's only a certain type of uh, record to be allowed on the radio. And then and then they just mess with the playlist from there and only give you a certain style of record. We will we will survive, I guess, at the end of the day. Like we said at the beginning, you can only you can only control what you can control. So right, awesome, bro. Before we wrap up the podcast, did you have uh, anything else you wanted to uh, anything else you wanted to drop or mention? Just want people to go to my website, BrianSharp.co, B-R-Y-A-N-S-H-A-R-P-E. Uh, go to my website and sign up for my email list. Basically, what I'm trying to do is cultivate minds that are going to uh, create things and create ideas and businesses and startups mm -hmm. so we can start leveraging our economic power. Basically, I want to work with people that want to launch things that are change the world, things that are more ethical. You know, sometimes people have startups. It's like, oh, you have a new soda coming out. Great. Like, who cares? You know, <laughs> but, but, but um, what things can we launch that actually change the world? Like with the CoinBits app, you know, like that, that, that is something that can change things for people. You know, it's a good positive change and getting into decentralization, allow people to do transactions without the big banks involved. Mm. You know, you come to Hotep Jesus, Hotep Jesus, and make sure you don't have to deal with the big banks. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a, a great service to provide people. That's what I do with my email list. You know, I help people build ideas like that. Awesome, man. For anyone who's on Twitter, how do they find you on there? Uh, Vabha, V-I-B-E-H-I, Vabha. Awesome. So that is Brian Sharp, a.k.a. Hotep Jesus. Thank you for coming on the show, bro. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, man. That's all good, man. Bye-bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.